Bruno Strachan, a constant menace this afternoon. Plays the ball neatly infield to Jesper Olsen. Runners either side, goes alone, 4-1. What a start to 1987. We've all seen teams with 10 men raise their game, and of course Manchester United did it against Everton in the FA Cup final, and they've done it here. Jesper Olsen with a little jig of triumph. And welcome back to another Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen Evans, and today joined by two new hosts, Lou McCarry and Wes Brown. Pleasure to have you here, guys. At debuts on the podcast, for presenting, obviously, both on your podcast, you know how it works. Yeah, filling in for Maisie. Well, that means you're filling in for Sam. <laughs> yeah, for Sam. Substitute for Sam. That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> I think Sam would be pretty happy with that, to be fair. <laughs> um, how are you feeling about your um, presenting podcast debut, Wes? Yeah, absolutely fine until I sat down and a little bit of a panic, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> what about you, Lou? Well, it's always interesting to listen to somebody who's played around the same time as you to see whether they think the same as you and, and what they've got to say about the managers in particular. Yeah, we always start our podcast by asking what we've been doing in our lives. So a little life update from both of you would be fantastic. Lou, what have you been up to? Um... Back and forward to Old Trafford since the start of the season. Um, homeless shelter in Stoke on Trent. Yeah. And Wes, you've been busy too. You've been jet sitting around Europe this week. Yeah, this week's been a busy one. Munich. Um, and then straight from Munich, I was in Ireland, Dublin yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then an early flight to get here today. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, it's great to have you both on board. Thank you uh, for coming along. Have you met Jesper before? No, and I just missed him in... 1985 when he came to the club I was late I left in 84 so I just missed him then and um, looking forward to hearing what he's got to say because that was a good time for Manchester United Mm -hmm. Um, Ron Atkinson was a manager Sir Alex uh, was another one of his managers and um, always interesting to listen to what players have got to say about Sir Alex because he's been the club's greatest manager ever it's always interesting to hear what people tell you how he did it and and what he did, was it simple, was it difficult? Yeah, as you say, he was, Jasper was here from 1984 to 1988, scoring 24 goals, pretty impressive tally, Wes. I was only a pup then, um, and there wasn't many games on the TV, it's what you yeah. caught on Saturday. But yeah, I mean, obviously when you get older, yeah, I knew who Jasper was, uh, most famously because of the penalty, funny enough, uh, with Johan Cruyff. So we might ask him that question. Yeah, I think we should ask him about that. Um, Jesper now lives in Australia. He's the director of a football coaching school, but he has actually travelled over on a little tour of the UK with 22 boys and their parents. And I think they're going to do a little tour of Old Trafford and go around the country. So we might have a little guest appearance from them later on in the podcast. So that will be nice. Um, Shall we get him on? Let's do it. Here he is, Jesper Olsen. Jesper, welcome to the Manchester United podcast. Thank you. We are delighted to have you. We have had a few requests for you, which has been really, really nice. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling well now. I'm back, kind of back home at, at Old Travel, obviously, after many years. So, yeah, I feel really good and I've uh, got a lot of people with me from Australia. Talk us through that, actually, because we might they might make a little appearance later on in the podcast. So tell us what you're doing, who you're with. Uh, I have a company called Shooter Football, so it's an academy 
And we teach kids from uh, five years old until 18. And uh, we have 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds with us, 22 of them, and uh, 24 parents. And we are touring the UK or England, really. So London, the Midlands, and not to uh, obviously up to Manchester as we're here today. They've all come on a on a football trip from Australia. That's, that's massive. huge. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Absolutely, yeah. I think the parents are more excited than the kids. Uh, so that's it. Been good so far. Yeah. Oh, well, we're delighted to have you with us. And I know you'd said before you have listened to Kevin Moran's podcast, someone that you're really close with. Guys, I just want to ask you, obviously, Lou, you didn't cross over with Jesper? No, nearly did. Yeah. Because yeah. I left here in 84, Jesper, and you, you were I just coming, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we nearly did. But uh, when he came to the club, obviously, he made an impact right away. When were you aware that Manchester United were after you or wanted you to sign? Were you aware in a couple of yeah, years earlier? Yeah, I think we played England uh, in the qualification for the European Championship in uh, in France, 84. And uh, I scored a goal in the last minutes against England in Copenhagen. And I think Juan Atkinson then kind of took notice of me and followed me for a while. And I always supported Man United. So when they came knocking on the door, there was no doubt. I mean, I had to go. So, uh, and then... End of, uh, of season 84, I obviously came here. But I came here before then to um, to meet Martin Edwards, uh, the chairman, and, and sign the contract and so on. And, uh, I mean, they brought me here, of course, because there was no doubt that I was going to sign uh, looking at this stadium. So uh, And then I signed in the, in the end of 83. And I believe you had a trial with Arsenal. Yeah, not so much a trial, actually. It was just a friendly game because Bob Wilson, the goalkeeper, came to play at my Danish club for, uh, for a season. And the exchange was that the two players could go to uh, to Arsenal for a week. So that's how I ended up playing a game at uh, at Highbury with uh, Malcolm McDonald. He came back from injury. He came in, and I'll forget that he came in smoking a cigar in the dressing room <laughs> five minutes before the game and just changed, played in again, changed and went. That was it. Yeah, but it was a great experience. Yeah. You said that you were a Manchester United fan growing up. Talk to us about growing up. I'm not going to try and pronounce the, the town or the Vaxus. That's yeah. the one. Uh, in Denmark, of course, was football a big part of your life growing up? Where did that come from? Um, massive, because we used to get a game at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon live from the English League. And I, w- I mean, I watched Lou play many times uh, at, at three o'clock in Denmark on the, at the, the match day. And we, we knew all the players from, from all the, more or less all the teams. That was it. But you had to be there at the time, obviously, because there was never any replays. And uh, yeah, I loved United, Gordon Hill, Stuart uh, Cobble, Greenough Brothers, and, and all, you know, Lou Macario, obviously, Ray Wilkins, all the names from then. Uh, mm-hmm. And they just uh, fell in love with Man United, I suppose, as a young player. Yeah. Did your family, were they into football? Did they support Manchester United? No, no, not at all. My dad sadly passed away. I was only eight. And so my mom uh, had a shop in, in the middle of town, so she was there all the time. So I was relying on all of that to take me to, to matches and wherever we went for the weekend. We played outdoor in the summer and indoor uh, in the winter, so tournaments all the time. And so that, that was really my growing up and then playing with my mates in the street, as we, we did in those days. There was always something going on. There was always somebody playing outside and you joined them. Yeah. Why indoor in the winter? What was the reason behind that? Weather. Weather. Just the yeah, weather. purely weather. Yeah, too cold to be outside. So we played um, actually four side with hoardings. So I think a lot of our skills actually from that developed because the ball was always in play. So um, yeah, futsal type. Uh, did yes. you ever play indoors in the winter, Wes? No. <laughs> so you know what? I just we just played on the street. Yeah. If my mum was chucking us out of the house, it was just in the street. But uh, 
we we had a few tournaments indoors, and it is a completely yeah. different game to outdoors because yeah. you're always you know touching the ball like you just said, yeah. and it does help, I think. So, absolutely. Yeah. We went to Denmark, yes, for a couple of times pre-season. Okay, just outside Copenhagen. Would I be right in saying is there a place called Vedbeck? That's correct. Yes. yes. Yeah. We, yeah. That's where we stayed with the Danish team always before matches. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. That yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. On the coast. That, that's why we also went, and I don't know why we went there. We went with Man United as well to an island where my sister still lives, and the boat trip across was horrendous. And I never forget there was soup on the table. The soup came off the tables and everything, and everybody was in the middle of the uh, of this uh, boat because when you're in the middle, you're supposed not to get seasick. But they, everybody was seasick, yeah. So I got a lot of uh, banter out of that one with the players because they hated that trip. So not a good start to go to Denmark. Growing up, what were you like at school or was football always on your mind? That's what you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, schooling in Denmark was a bit different because you kind of uh, you kind of made your way up through the different years in any school, obviously. But we would go to school sometimes at 11 o'clock and finish at 1. So we were playing all the time, stadium on the streets, like I said. But we had milk cartons. We had not allowed balls at school. Milk cartons with plastic around them and then we could play and use those. So again, I think skills-wise that also made a difference. Play with the with the older boys at school as well. But we also did badminton, gymnastics, all sorts of stuff. So I think we tell the players nowadays as well, you know, you, at a young age, do other sports too, because I think you get some kind of learning things from other sports when you are yeah. when you're growing up. So different mobility and agility. So yeah. yeah, but it was a lot of football, of course. Mm. Yeah. Did you play any of those sports well? Um, basketball. Yeah. Um, I also did karate. A lot of press ups, a lot of sit ups. Like as a yeah. kid, you could just fly out because you didn't have any weight on you. Yeah. Um, but it gives you good core without you really Absolutely. It. Yeah. I suppose you take that now into your coaching thinking about your upbringing playing in the winter as you said short skills inside different sports do you adapt that whenever you're coaching other children and think those are the sort of things that we need to put into play as well yeah I mean I think the problem with us in Australia we don't have them enough enough time so we have AFLs so Aussie rules football first and cricket yeah. they love their swimming they love their rugby so every state is different. Um, so and where we are in Melbourne is AFL, massive sport. So to compete with them is actually really, really difficult. Not so much the grassroots because a lot of the young kids play, play as we call it soccer. But when they go to a, a higher level, a lot of them, they change into AFL and other sports. So it's a, re- it's a big uh, conundrum, as I say, to try and work out how do we actually get to a, a higher level. The World Cup must have been a big help for football in Australia because the national team did fantastic. Yeah, Lou, I think the the problem is a little bit like the men when they go and play in the World Cup and they do well, there's, there's a high, isn't there? But then they all go and play in Europe when they come back like the women and then you can watch them play. So then it's a little bit of a kind of a downtime again because then the AFL takes over and, and all the sports. So it's a, it's, a, it's very difficult to go and, uh, and and see players play, obviously. You've got to come to Europe. That's yeah. really the, uh, the only way. Yes, but Ajax in the 80s, one of the best teams in Europe, what was it like going to join them? Yeah, so again, I watched uh, uh, the, the uh, Champions League uh, finals with, with Ajax. Obviously, they won 71-2-1-3. And then two World Cup uh, finals as well. So uh, I, was, I was well into the, to the Dutch football as well. And Danes had gone there before me. There was already four Danes at Ajax when I joined. So um, again, when they came and watched me play in Nesford, in, in the Danish club I played for... Um, no doubt that I wanted to become a professional player and that was uh, kind of my first I was semi-pro at Nesford I worked in a bank 
uh, during the day, and uh, I worked uh, long hours, and then training in the evening and stuff. I like that was the way it was in those days. And then uh, three years later, I asked, they wanted to sign me, and that was uh, the start of the professional career, I suppose. Back then, did you have an agent? The goalkeeper from the Danish team's dad helped me. Yeah, right. so not an agent, not an just agent. somebody that I yeah, could uh, trust and that was uh, on my side, I suppose, yeah. So yeah. how old were you when you made that move? So so I moved out of home when I was 17 to this town, Nesford, yeah. and then I played there for three years. Yeah. Straight in the first team at 17, uh, and then at 20, mm-hmm. I moved to Ajax. Yeah. It must have been nice to have... Uh, other players from your country as well to help you settle in. Yeah, especially the one guy, Sean Leaby, who was uh, three years older than me, kind of took me under his wing, and I stayed with him for six months when I was there, and we became, oh, I became very good friends with him, his wife, and uh, and family, and so forth. So that was brilliant. Yeah, great start actually. And dots, I mean, I had no idea what were they, what they wanted about in the beginning with that language. So it probably took six months to kind of yeah. learn the language and find your way around. But it was, I had a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the football, as Lou said, speaks for itself. So Absolutely. you're joining a club. And what was this change like, though? Because obviously you're going from playing part-time yeah. to playing full-time. What was that like for you? Different, of course. I mean, yeah. you trained all the time and you played at the weekends and pre-season, as you know, both of you at what it's like. Um, and I remember we, we you went away the first week somewhere to a smaller area of Holland so you played against local teams just to get your, your fitness level up. So you trained in the morning and played every night. And I remember the fifth day, I could hardly get out of bed. And uh, I'm room with a Danish guy called Steen Siegler, who's 34 and also smoked. And no problem at all. And I looked at him and said, how, how does he manage to get out of bed every day? Not a problem. Like he's just come, uh, come back from, uh, from another job or something. And I, I thought, obviously, Steen, well, how do you do it? You know, he said, well, I take my time and I don't have to go crazy in the beginning. Just seriously, he was uh, a lot more, obviously used to it than I was so I had to learn from that as well you just build up in the beginning but I wanted to show everybody that was uh, was there that I was obviously capable of being being doing the training and getting the team and so forth for there so that was a massive change yeah yeah. so there was um, a player called Cruyff there at the time yeah pretty good yes because I watched him as well I mean he was one of those uh, colourful characters uh, so he decided not to go to the 78 World Cup because of tactical Things and players not being chosen, and he actually wanted to be in the team. So, so he was in America uh, and came back to IS at a, in the '82. Was uh, he was 37 when he returned, and I was I just turned 21, and of course uh, still an amazing player. Yeah. yeah, at that level. So it was a uh, 18 months with him was a pleasure to see what he could still do at that age. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, even though you were at Ajax, were you still keeping an eye on what was going on in England? Always, always, of course, yeah. We would always look for the results or whatever of, of all the teams actually, but especially Man United, and uh, we we'll talk about it as well, of course, yeah. For you, Lou, at the time, did you guys ever watch other leagues? Probably wasn't as accessible. And we knew about other leagues, but there wasn't the amount of football on television yeah. then that it is now. But did you know about certain players who maybe played for Ajax? Yeah, we knew about the stars because that's what. You could tell who the stars were in, in Europe. And, and of course, when Jesper came to Old Trafford, uh, we had two players, two wingers, probably for the first time in a few years, imaginated the two wingers, Steve Coppel and Gordon Hill. Did that put any pressure on you, Jesper, the fact that Gordon Hill and Steve Coppel did well when they were here at Manchester United and you were coming in after them? 
No, not really. I mean, I, I, I always, I think, I believe that I could could play anywhere uh, in any team. I think uh, in those days because I was very confident as a player. I think and I had no problem with that. Loved to watch, like I said, Gordon Hill as well, of course. Uh, and I played it at Ajax with like Johan Cruyff and Van Basten, Rijkaard, Koeman, and all these players that became big stars. And the Dots had a way of of they they have an amazing belief in what they do is the right thing. So I learned so much at Ajax in three years that I thought this is just amazing how much I've developed from coming out of semi-professionalism to uh, to professional football. So it was amazing three years actually. Yeah. Can I just say? I mean, obviously we know about the famous panel, but as a kid. That changed the way you would play as kids because you'd have your best mate, you'd give him the wink, and he knew what you're going to do. And I always remember when the first time I watched out and we was as friends, we were going, "Can you do that?" Yeah. So how did that how did that happen, and how how did you work it out, or have you done it before, but it's not it's not been captured? Uh, I've been asked that many times. So the um, they also ask whose idea was it, yeah. and I say, well, "You say yours." Well, I, I, as you said, sadly, uh, you know, Johan uh, has passed away, so God bless him. But uh, of course, it was his idea. Yeah, and we uh, in September, we after training, he called me over and said, "Just let's try this." And uh, so, and I worked out. I'll tell you after what I think why he did this. But um, so we tried it in training three times, and it was okay. We didn't do it after that. Then at Christmas time, we played Harlem at home, and three nil up. So he said, let's do it. And after, yeah, I, was, I was so nervous of doing that because obviously it has to go right. And for him, he had to play the ball out to the left and I had to run in after the ball, do a 360, pass it back to him, and then he scores the goal. And I, I know why he did it because it was really only me that could mess it up. I, I had to run in at the right time, play it back to him. He just had to tap it in. Yeah. So he was very clever in doing that. And luckily it went, it went the right way because Thierry... Uh, Thierry Henry and Pires tried it yeah, and messed it up. Messed it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was just going to say, obviously you tried on the streets, but never, never and professionally. And we actually did it once and it was, I think it was under 11, so we're talking 91. Okay. And the person who took it, so I did your job. Yeah, yeah. I run in late. That was fine. Yeah. But he run offside. Oh, did he? And he so run in front of the ball. Of the ball. I played it in front. Yeah. And he's give, give off sides. So obviously, we never tried it again. Yeah. Um, so we messed that up. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So it's not as easy as it looks, I suppose. That's the. Yeah. So we, we, there's always time. We can reenact it later on, where <laughs> no. if you want the real deal. I just shut me at it. Stay <laughs> Yeah. And as you said to Wes, I'm sure you've been asked about that many times oh. in your life. Yeah. And, and especially now, because obviously you want to pass away and something happens and they will phone me. So sometimes. You're the other side of the world, and you finally wake up in the morning. You see, you know, I mean, there was something has happened, obviously, around the uh, around the game that they yeah. want to know about. So, yeah, you did touch on it briefly earlier, but we'll go into it again. So, in 1984, you made the move. Yeah, here. you said you've watched lots of the English league before. Sadly, Lou had moved on by then. Um, what was that move like culturally for a start? Yeah, so the um, uh, so they they took me here. When I signed the contract, yeah, they, I never went to the cliff. Alan Brazil and, and Strike and signed at the same time, yeah. But I mean, lovely people worked there. The physio, Jimmy McGregor, and the, the lady. Normal, normal was a character. A massive, yeah, of course. And, and all that stuff made the, the, the whole thing obviously a great experience. The team spirit wouldn't have been a shock for you, yes, but would, would it? Because team spirit then was fantastic. You all had to get together. Yeah, I mean, it, it was different, for sure. I mean, we. So the. 
I suppose the mentality of, of, of the Danes and the Dots and I went to France afterwards is very different to the mentality of the of the English players. And you, you have to get to understand uh, I think what what drove the players in those days. And I think when I look back I think about my time here was the players actually thought they had the best job in the world. That that was my feeling. Yeah. So we trained in Denmark, we also worked and then so forth. Had a uh, I think a different relationship with alcohol as well in 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 those countries around food more and stuff like that. And um, where here it was it was like if you sign for not just Man United, I think the bigger clubs, the family would come and watch. We would go out with the families afterwards, and everybody would be around and have a great time, which was fantastic, I think. But the football side of it, obviously, in England was was completely different in those days with the players' lounges afterwards and uh, meeting up, and it was it was a different culture for sure. Yeah, yeah. So for me coming in as an outsider, that was a massive, uh, massive change. Yeah. You were dubbed the George Best, the new George Best to come. Do you remember people saying that about you at the time? Yeah, yes, of course. Did that yeah. put pressure on you or did you like that? No, it I, I didn't put pressure on me, I think, because I, I knew my style of play and so forth. And I've, I've watched George Best a little bit, but not, I mean, not too much, but everybody knew about him, obviously. Um, so no, not really. No, I was just... Uh, ready to go, really excited to uh, to come and uh, couldn't wait for the season to start. Yeah, There wasn't many players from overseas played with you guys at the time. Was it seen as quite exotic for someone to come in and play for the team? I tell people that I played for 11 years at Manchester United with two foreign players. Two in 11 years. Yeah, You won't get them, yes, but I can see you thinking who they were. It's a good quiz question. Nikolai Jovanovic. I was going to say somebody from Yugoslavia, yeah. Yeah, and the Dutch player, not Muren was not here. Was he? Muren was Muren. Yeah, yeah. So in eleven years, yeah, I had two yeah. foreign players yeah. that came to Old Trafford. So that was culturally, you got to know the cliff very quickly, I presume. Um, when did you play your first game? When did you meet your teammates for the first time? Our oh, pre-season, I think. I, I'm not sure. We we start in July. Some days the first game is normally around the 13th of August. So I reckon probably six weeks before or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to know uh, Ellen and uh, Brazil and Gordon because we stayed at Mottram Hall in those days for, I think, four months or something before we found somewhere to live and stuff. And uh, that was an experience in the cells because I didn't understand I a, a word of what they say. No, so that was an thing. What, what is this, man? God. So, uh, but we funny guys, Gordon and, and Ellen, because Ellen doesn't stop talking, of course, as we know from talk radio as well. And... Uh, he had his family with him, so I used to, to drive us to training and through uh, or from the hotel to the cliff, we had to stop at the bookies <laughs> to get some bets on. We had to pick up cash sometimes. I had to have the cash in glove compartment. In my and was that car. totally new for you? Oh, it was, uh, well, what is this? You know, it was just, yeah, all that stuff went on and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was very good fun. After yeah. the games, yes, but did you go to a particular pub in Manchester? Well, so there was uh, uh, Paddy Cran's uh, uh, pop. Yeah. Always uh, remember that there was a lot of lock-ins and all sorts of stuff there. <laughs> lock-ins and lock-ins. Uh, lock-ins, man. It was like where we went. Oh, they came back sometimes in the same suit. We went Friday to away games, yeah. And sometimes on a Monday morning, and uh, Norman Weiser would not uh, mind me saying this, came back in the same suit on a Monday morning. <laughs> And I said, where have you been, North? <laughs> I've been out, yeah, yeah. Just three days ago. Three days in Paris. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or wherever, yeah. So, but that was a camaraderie, I suppose. That, yeah. That was, uh, that was a massive part of it, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 
Did you realise that very quickly after you'd been here, the camaraderie of that team and the team spirit they had all doing things socially together and the difference that made? Yeah, I think some of us dipped in and out. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, and it was a, like a group like Kevin, uh, Robbo, I think, Rip Anderson, uh, yeah, Sadie Gordon McQueen, obviously as well. God bless him. Uh, so there was uh, John Gidman, that yeah. those uh, type of players was... Uh, a bit the older group, I suppose, or the middle group there. Uh, but always, always uh, yeah, lots of fun in those days on the tours as well. They're like, God, it's like having kids with on the tour. These things that happen, you know, you just say, this is typical English football, yeah. They're just having a great time. People don't believe me, yes, but when I tell them that after a game here at Old Trafford, if we won, only if we won, we used to go and sit in a pub and sail and mix with... With, yeah, all the everybody, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Never harassed by the people nah. that nowadays nah. you, you couldn't do that. No, yeah, not at all. No, nah. I mean there was a nightclub in Old Orleans that we used to go to as well, and the same thing. There was no problem. Eh? You know, you look at players today. I mean, it, it, the, uh, the prison is the wrong word, but the, it's it's such a different world, isn't it, for them? And it must be for young players, especially coming through, who are growing up making mistakes, very hard. Because we can tell them, but they have never done it, you know. So they got to grow up. And nowadays, it's, it must be very, very difficult. So with the young players, yes, but you've got, what are you teaching them? The ways, the way it was in the seventies, or the way it is now? What do you tell them is the best way forward? But yes, yeah, so I mean the game has changed, I suppose, but the yeah. basics haven't changed. I think uh, we believe if you can control a pass the ball, then you are. You are halfway there because you're not worried about those two things. So then you start doing decision making and all the other bits and pieces. So it really is the basics. And in terms of time, go and practice against the wall. If you want to be a professional player, use that as your your best friend because we haven't got them enough time. Maybe at Man U and these bigger clubs because they have academies, but we have an academy and these kids also play for clubs sometimes. They play at school and stuff. So hours of contact time is is a lot less. So they have to spend time with the ball on their own. And what they are seeing, these kids we have with us now on this tour, and the parents, I mean, that opens up their eyes, obviously, because it's amazing what what facilities there are around in this country. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for just hitting a ball against a wall. Bet you did a lot of that, Wes. No, I didn't. Actually. What? No. I, I see Berber still does. I was just going to say, Berbatov released a video on Instagram okay. recently yeah. of him just... Yeah. Kicking a ball off a wall, yeah. still got an unbelievable touch. Yeah. By the way, uh, no, I think when we were when we were younger, it was just put take your jumper off, put that as goals. Yeah, um, hold one goal and then play Wembley. You could do that two on two, one on one, and you picked up so much stuff. And yeah. like, I think the best thing for me, which I don't think you're allowed to do now, is play against older kids as well. Of course, yeah, because yeah. I always thought that helped me. Yeah, because yeah. physically they're a little bit better, but you know you want to. You want to give a little bit no, absolutely, and yeah. be able to, to go up against them. So I think that bit, not all the time, but I don't think there's, there's too much harm in that. If it's not too too many years up. You mentioned uh, older Liège there. I actually was asking Robbo yesterday on the flight back from Munich. I said, any stories about Jesper? And he said that when you arrived and you'd got in your home, I presume, That's right. that you came into training and said to him, there's tiny bears, baby bears in my garden. That's right. And he was really laughing, telling this story. And I'm thinking, where laughing. is this? Go- <laughs> you thought there was little bears. Now, I'm not sure whether that was the language barrier. No, no I was trying. I didn't know what the name was on these little red squirrels. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so I had to try and explain to them, 
little, oh, what do they look like? They're little, little bears or something, crawling everywhere and stuff like that. <laughs> and they looked at me and said, what? And I said, what? I had no idea what you're on about. And then obviously we got to where, so it was the red squirrels that was outside. I'd never seen it before. So that You've never seen red squirrels? Nah, never. Nah. Oh my goodness, so, so much change for you, the cliff, red squirrels. <laughs> but now I see them all the time when I'm here with my daughter. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so talk about the football then. I know you've talked about training on your teammates. Playing in the top division in England, what was the difference for you in terms of the footballing with Ajax? Uh, more games for sure. Yeah, harder games. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've, I, I say when I speak to other people about it, it we played against men here. Re- really. I mean, they, they were tough in those days. You could tackle from behind. And it, it was, and the pitches when you got to, I think, October, November, there was no grass on the pitch, water everywhere, the ball was heavy, and it was just, it, it was completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the beginning was, uh, August, September was lovely. Yeah. Because this, <laughs> The pitch was great, but later on it was uh, yeah, it was tough, absolutely. Yeah. And when you look back on those players that played in those days, like you do as well, the 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 quality of the players in those days, and played with Clive Allen too and stuff, and they were just the closer you got to them, obviously playing with them, you just understood how how good they were because the again the surroundings were nothing like nowadays, of course. So it was hard, absolutely. What about the physicality of the game? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I was trying to be, uh, you know, creating things for other players. Really, so that was uh, uh, was my job. Uh, for, and, and I've loved it. I mean, I've, I've never been afraid either. My nickname when I was younger was Chicken because I was so tiny, and everybody was saying, you know, he's never going to make it. He's too small and stuff like that. So, uh, and I was never afraid of uh, whatever the size of the player I was yeah. playing against. But of course, it was hard. Yeah, and the English they knew how to, or Scottish or Welsh or whatever Irish knew how to look after themselves absolutely yeah uh, a hat trick against West Brom must have been one of the, the highlights for you absolutely yeah did you yeah. have any family come over to watch those games on those occasions mm, not really no, no. no not, my mum was in the shop and my sister lived on uh, on that island Vaughanholm the yeah. husband farmer and then they're still there uh, so once in a while yeah but not not that often no, no. Yeah. same in Holland really yeah what was the occasion like for you scoring a hat trick for this club Massive, of course. I didn't yeah. score many hat tricks in, in my career, so of course that was great. Yeah, I mean, scoring any goal, is, I think, is a, it's always a, a joy. But of course, a hat trick was something special. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Do you remember watching Jesper playing after you'd moved on? Yeah, and he was in a team full of exceptionally good players, um, and I don't think it was a surprise that the team changed from week to week because people who and of course you didn't have that many subs. Well, you that's right. You'd won back then. Yeah. Um, so actually 12 people involved yeah. you had to wait for your opportunity if the manager said right you're in today yeah. you had to you had to make your mark and you had to get out there and try and keep that position yours yeah. which was difficult yes but wasn't it yeah and of course it was I mean in the beginning of course I think we played first away game at Southampton lost 1-0 and then we played second game against Newcastle here 5-1 we won and I scored the first goal and obviously that was kind of a dream start for me and we had some yeah, fantastic players, of course, like Robson as well, obviously Gordon Strike and Alan Brazil, Stableson, Moses was in midfield and Doxbury and Elveston and then fantastic players, of course. But there were some very good teams around in those days too, like Liverpool and Everton and Arsenal. So it was of course it was hard, yeah. And winning anything we know is I mean what Sir Alex did here with with the players to, to win anything is hard, but to win so many things is incredible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is your best player? Who is your, sorry, your best teammate? 
Oh, Kevin and Norman. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. So that was probably the ones I've... Anna Muren, obviously, because of the Dots connection tool there a bit as well, so yeah. So they were the players you were closest to in terms of playing, talent? Outside the pitch, yeah. Who yeah. has been the best player you played with here, though? Oh, that, I mean, that's, it's hard to pick out one. I mean, but obviously we 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 talk about Brian Robson a lot, don't we, in, in terms of his leadership and commitment and stuff like that, and also playing for England. And so Robert would be the one of them. But I mean, Little Strachan was an amazing player uh, in terms of skill uh, as well, obviously. So, but there was uh, some beautiful players, absolutely. Stables and up front was a uh, Mark Hughes came in and just did a, an amazing job at eighteen, I think he was. So. All around, a, a great set of players, yeah. So we just couldn't get yeah. over the last hurdle, really. Yeah. You've talked about the culture change, the red squirrels, the the, yes. the pubs. What about Ron Atkinson's sunbed? Was that a new culture change for you too? <laughs> well, Ron was a character. I mean, he was just the... Uh, I mean, because it's loved, famous in itself, the sunbed. It is, and his gold chains and all the stuff. I mean, he was a character for sure, and he was part of the training always doing all his stuff and laying off balls for finishing and, and all this. So he was, uh, and he just loved people to go and play, actually. Yeah, so tactically, it didn't didn't worry too much about it. Players, and there was more four four two of you have sometimes three three up front, obviously, where they've been having two wingers. But he just loved go and play. You know, you, you, I bought you because I like the way you play. So go and play, don't change the way you play. But of course, he was the character, yeah. Yeah. I was just on bed or so. I had a meeting sometimes, like he's not finished. You want to wait 15 minutes or something, you're waiting for him to finish. <laughs> He's on with it. Yeah, amazing. Uh, let's talk about the FA Cup. Yeah. Obviously, you watched English football. The FA Cup must have been a big spectacle for you as a child as well. Huge, of course. I mean, that was the game we've, every season, last game after the the normal season, as you know, and it was uh, in Denmark, it's around the world. Massive, yeah. And it was something special uh, then. And I know it's still special, but the game has taken a little bit of a, I suppose, a backseat to some of the bigger Champions League finals and stuff like that. But in those days, it was amazing. You were, as you know, a week before you went down to yeah. London, hotel, trained a bit, I had a bit of fun and stuff like that. And then and then the big game and the, your family came over, stayed with you. You know, we had, I think you had a 120 tickets, I think. Yeah. All over the world, the game was, yeah. everybody was watching it all over the world. And then we was talk about it later on as well, that when you speak to people about it, I only went once. And if you lose, it would have. Been, I mean, it would have been a nightmare. Yeah. You go there once and you win. It's obviously a dream that that was, and you got the whole experience after party and on the train the day after. My mum was there. You know, she's passed away sadly too. But with the FA Cup on the way back to Manchester, then on the bus, and that whole thing was just amazing. Yeah, what, what a three times yes, but in four well, years. Yeah, yeah. Those disappointments. Hard to explain to people how disappointing yeah. it was yeah. when you're the loser. Yeah. And you got first for your medal. Yeah. yeah. You got first yeah. for your loser's medal. Yeah. yeah. And you feel like throwing it away. Um, yeah. But if you win, oh, when we beat Liverpool, coming yes. back on the train, then yeah. getting the bus from Altium. Yeah. Tour of Manchester. Yeah. Brilliant. It was. You did win in 1985. For anybody who's listening that's not sure, you played Everton, beat them 1 0. 1 0, yeah. And we beat Liverpool, I think, in the semis uh, over two matches, actually, I think. As well, so we had had already beaten Liverpool, and I think Everton was going for the treble. They won the league already in the Cup Winners' Cup, I think. So that was, uh, yeah, so great, yeah, fantastic experience. Only I think the English can do it that way. It was just amazing what the what happened on that day. 
Yeah. And the medal, do you still have that? Still have the medal, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, of course. Do you keep memorabilia from your days playing football? Yes, but I'm, I'm sure like you, this put somewhere, you know, you, I know where it is. But Yeah, not, we're not going to ask you where it is. <laughs> I don't have it on the walls or anything like that. <laughs> no, but of no. course you keep, you keep stuff. Yeah. But uh, we, in those days, we didn't get, you know, no shirts really to change. Yeah, so I mean, if you change your shirt yeah. or somebody, that's what's gone. Yeah. But we never thought about that in those days. No. Nah. So, yes, but there's uh, things can happen in football. And I've heard there was an altercation um, between you and you know, me, Moses. Can you explain any, any of it? Yes, of course. Yeah. And, and, and there was a Danish uh, photographer there at the same time and a newspaper. So I, I don't know, I somehow tackled Remy in a bad way as opposed to training. And uh, the next thing, I was on the floor. I had a, a, oh, my eyelid was completely open and the blood everywhere. So I never understood what, uh, why, obviously, and, and what happened at the time. But in those days, it, there was not a lot of uh, like uh, mental issues and stuff like that that could be dealt with in terms of being looked after. So I remember that Ron Atkinson said, listen, why don't you just go home for three or four days? And take it easy. And then you're ready. You can just come back. And Remy was just still training. And I had never had a problem with Remy before uh, at all. And this was like two years in, I think, in 86. Mm. So, uh, and obviously that was a, a really strange situation because it was hard afterwards to be be close and so forth. And uh, But that, yeah, that happens in training. Yeah. So, okay. but it was all in the Danish papers as well, obviously, because that was, a, uh, so that made it even worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have a speech from again? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. It took a little while, but absolutely, yeah. Okay. So, mm-hmm. man, no problem. It's all good now. We have welcomed uh, all your boys and their parents. Welcome to you all um, who've been on a tour of the stadium. Yes. Yeah. So they're all delighted to be on television. Uh, we are on a podcast, but they're being very quiet. So if you are listening, there is, how many children? 22? Yes. 22 children behind us who are being very, very well behaved. Um, I know you spoke to us at the beginning about what you guys have been doing, but what's your plans for the next couple of days with the boys? So we're finishing here uh, on uh, on Monday, going back to London on Tuesday morning, I think it is. And then we have a couple of days at the... Chelsea has a hotel linked to the uh, to their ground as well. A couple of days there, we're going to go to Tottenham Hotspur as well. We're going to play a game on Monday at Reading. So there's a few more things to happen. We're also going to watch a game tomorrow. Not quite sure if I can mention where we're going. No, let's not mention that. Nah, so we'll be watching a <laughs> Premier League match tomorrow. Uh, and then, yeah, and then a day off on Sunday there. Some people are going to watch different Premier League games on Sunday as well. So, Lots of these boys, I'm sure, will be Rasmus Hoyland fans. Yeah, but they know, they know the English Premier League yeah. that we discussed and they, they love to, uh, to watch yeah. players, obviously. So it's a great, I think, experience at this age to come and watch yeah. So many games, yeah, in a short time. Just how delighted are you that Hoyland has come and made the move here? Yeah, I mean, I always like Danish players to come here, of course, because there's a tradition having Danish players here. So we just hope now that uh, that the team can, can find their way, I suppose, and gel and, and get the results that we, we kind of expect from Manchester United when they play. Mm-hmm. And we know it's not easy to find that. It's, uh, it's the most difficult thing, isn't it? Yeah, we're in good hands with the Dane around though, aren't we? Um, just yeah. going back a little bit then, tell us about the time when you left Manchester United, what, what happened during that time? Yeah, so Ferguson came in, I think in uh, October 86, I think, and uh, somebody just sent me a team sheet. I think I was on the bench in the first game against Oxford away, and I think we drew 1-1, one, 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 I think, but played a lot under, under Alex and uh, got to understand that he was he was actually... 
he, he was going to change things. Yeah, the hardest working guy, I think, as a manager as well. And, and for him to come in to get the chance, I suppose, about the conversation with with Gordon Strachan and Aberdeen, and Gordon had just left Aberdeen to get away from him, and then he followed <laughs> followed Gordon, Gordon was down. Gordon yeah. That's right. What yeah. was to come? As a manager, so that was a, yeah, so another f- a funny story, obviously. So, uh, but yeah, he he was he made business for sure, yeah. And we all knew that, and we were all wondering when a new manager come, what's going to happen, who's going to stay, and who's going to go, and that. So, but more the the thing that happened, I think, in '85 uh, with the Heisel disaster was that we obviously didn't play in Europe. So our CV as players was kind of diminished in a lot of ways because we never got the chance after that to play for a lot of years and when, when I talked to all the players too obviously they said this you missed all of that of course mm-hmm. so so I went to to France in 88 mm-hmm. yeah to Bordeaux were you sad to leave the club yeah but I also wanted to move on I suppose there was a change at the time and you're not quite sure exactly where you were going to go um, and I I just wanted to play as well and he was actually going round and changing the club in all areas and getting the players Getting the likes of Lee Sharp, remember the story, 10 o'clock in the evening, he was with his parents at the house after the game and then driving back to Manchester. And that was his work ethic. And we know the story, obviously, now what happened. But so he, And he was brilliant. So you moved on to Bordeaux, as you said, and met up with a certain Eric Cantona along the way too. That's right, yeah. We trained at, at a massive chateau outside of Bordeaux. Yeah. But it was, yeah, that's where we trained. So that was uh, an amazing, uh, at Chiraez, Tigana, Cantona. Vicente Lissarosu, Klaus Erlofs, I mean, incredible. Schiffel from the, the Belgian team. So amazing players in, in Bordeaux at the time, yeah. So I really enjoyed it. So when was the time when you decided, right, the time to hang up my boots? I'm done with football. Playing, I mean. Yeah, I mean, so we didn't qualify for the 92 European Championships with Denmark. Um, and I had a little bit of an injury in Cannes in March and decided after that it's probably... But it was early. I was only 32 yeah. uh, to hang up my boots. We, so we hadn't qualified for the European Championship and all that. So it was kind of fitting, you know, with uh, the, my career at that stage. And then Yugoslavia obviously had the, the war and uh, did not go to the European Championship. And Denmark had finished second in the group. So they were invited back. And all the players were on holiday somewhere at the time. And we know the story. Obviously, they came back. They beat France, Holland and Germany on the way to win the European Championship. Um, so... But it was not the team I kind of grew up with uh, yeah. playing for for Denmark, so it was uh, fitting, I suppose, and that was the uh, the end of my career. Yeah. And made the move to Australia. How long have you been in Australia now? Twenty years, last month. Yeah. Years. yeah. Wow. Yeah. But you still have family. Well, you were telling me earlier you've got family all over now. I got a daughter just living in in, yeah, in, in Cheshire here, and uh, like John Stewart's birthday today, one of our yeah, famous coaches from uh, from Belfast <laughs> is with us. And my grandson is also eight years old today, Leo. So, yeah. So it's uh, to be here, like we talked about at this time as well, has been incredible, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm sure there's lots of Manchester United fans. Does anybody want to come and ask a question to Lou or to Wes? It can't be a child. It can't be a parent. Sorry. I'm trying to turn my head around. We have a f- do I stand here? You good? Yeah. Uh, sir, who is the greatest player each of you have played with? Um, good question. Do you want to start first, Jasper? Yes, Johan Cruyff. Yes. Yeah. Good answer. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Luke? George Best. A few good names being thrown about here, Wes. Mine's tough, but I will go with Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, there we go. Three. What's your name, sir? Uh, Gab. Gab, very, very good question. And some good footballers there too. Who's your best, your favourite player? Cristiano Ronaldo. 
Could be a few of them, I think. Thank you. Anybody else got a question? Yeah. What's your name? Uh, Charlie. Charlie. How was it like playing football when you were like younger? Oh, when I grew up in my hometown, Charlie. Yeah, when you, yeah, yeah. when you were like. How? But it was it was very different in those days. We played on the streets. We played at school. We, we played anywhere, I suppose, that we could find a, a a bit of space. Because in those days, you were allowed to be out on your own on the streets. Yeah. And normally lived in your own uh, smaller town, so it was uh, different days than Charlie for sure. Yeah. And we could always find somebody to play with. Yeah. Yeah, Lou will ask you that question too. I started with a team in Scotland called Celtic. You've heard of Celtic, haven't you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was a Celtic supporter. I used to go and watch them play every week. And I never thought that one day I would be playing for Celtic. But I did eventually play. And it, it taught me that there's always hope. And I was small like yourself. And I thought I'm too small to be a footballer. But people could convince me I wasn't too small. People convinced me I was good enough to play professional football. Who would you like to play for? Man United. Oh, Man United, right. As a right answer. <laughs> yeah. It can happen. Yeah. It you can go. happen. You've heard it from Lou McCarry. Wes, what was football like for you growing up? Um, pretty much the same. Um, we played on the street. You know, you'd be playing half on the grass, half on the road. You'd be hoping you didn't kick the curb. So we played in all different positions. I mean, I didn't play... How old are you? Um, ten. Ten. Okay, so I started playing football about ten. I didn't play any sort of football um, in a team until I was eleven. I played. Well, I thought I was going to be a right winger or a striker because that's as a kid you got to score the goals. That's right. Um, and then you know one day someone just put me at the back. I was pretty quick, and that was it. Stayed there. I wasn't happy at the beginning, um, but then realised I was pretty good at it. So. It's all changed a little bit and then got scouted and within of maybe going to a team called Old, Oldham Athletic, what in there, going on trials at Man City and not getting on. So a week later, Nobby um, Styles phoning my dad saying, he's coming United and that was it. Very good question, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, boys, for your question. Some good answers there too. We do have a couple of emails. Well, I'd said you would have had a lot of emails um, asking for you to come on the podcast, so we are delighted about that. We do have one person who's asked a question. Uh, what tactical changes were introduced to when Sir Alex Ferguson came in after Ron Atkinson? Were there adjustments you needed to make and how was that transition for you personally? That's from Matthew James Day. Yeah, I mean, it, it got, uh, it got I mean, a lot more serious, I think, from that side, from all the way from youth all the way up to the first team. If you didn't listen and didn't do as was, you were told, then... It was packing your bags, and we had a training session uh, uh, just after he arrived. And there was two guys, a Scottish and an Irish uh, young guys, uh, and they they didn't listen. And they were told next time, and they didn't listen. They were they were gone. Pack your bags and off you go. So kind of, I think that's what set uh, an example for everybody at the club. You and now you're you're gonna do as uh, as he wants. He wants to take you on this journey, but you gotta gotta follow what he says. Yeah. So as I said, that question is from Matthew James Day. He also says, Jasper was my favourite player in the late 80s when I started going to Old Trafford with my dad and brothers. He is a legend. He has sent us quite a few emails. 
So we are actually going to get you to sign a shirt and we're going to send that to Matthew. I'm not sure if you knew about that, but yeah, that's what you're going to do now. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) You're going to sign a shirt for him. So thank you. Thank you, Matthew James Day, for your emails. And thank you, Jesper. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us and all of your... Your team. Well, thank you. you. And it's great to meet you as well and great to meet you guys again. I'll see you again see after you. such a long time. Yeah. yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Well, that was the first time we've had a live audience, I think, on the podcast. Nice to have the boys with us and they were very well behaved, it has to be said. Um you did ask a wee question about the fight, didn't you? Yeah, I did. No, because, listen, I think in any team, in any sports team where you've got, you know, quite a few plays, stuff can happen. And and most of the time, like you said, he didn't even know what he did. And, you know, it happened. And you just get on with it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if anything, in my day when it did happen, I was probably the one that, the neutral one that would try and calm it down as quick as possible. Because I think you have to do that. But it was just, I think in any sports team, eventually... You know, especially if you're not doing well or or something's happened, you know, it can blow up a little bit. So it was just a question I needed to know. Was it a winner or a loser in the... I think he said he lost. He lost? Yeah, because he woke up and then said it could go on for four days. So I'm guessing that he that... lost. I'm guessing so, yeah. When did you find out what happened to Remy? <laughs> he may have been sent home for five days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really interesting podcast. I really, really enjoyed that one. Lou, did you enjoy it? Lovely. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Wes, as well. Um, that is it for another episode. Uh, thank you for listening. If you do want to get in touch like our other listeners, email unitedpodcast at manunited.co.uk. The address is in the notes for this episode if you need it. Please do keep your emails coming in. We do love reading them. Wes, you actually have a little email to read there, don't you? Yeah, there's, um, I have an um, email of Jackson Maples. Um, and it's, hello, Sam, Helen and Maisie. I wanted to tell you guys how encouraging your podcast is to a young footballer like myself. Thank you all so much for all you do. Go United. We will be bringing you more episodes when we have them so turn on the notification bell so you know when a new episode is released i know you two will be doing that uh, and please leave us a review only five stars that's all we do accept i'm only joking do leave us a review though if you do have the time and thank you guys it's been a pleasure thank you see you next time Bye bye